Listening Dog Media. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The Offside Rule. We get it. Brought to you by a Wolves fan, a Manchester United fan and a Liverpool fan. Hello and a very warm welcome to the Offside Rule. We get it with myself, Kate Borsay and Hayley McQueen. Just two of us this week. We're in the leafy suburbs of Bucks in Hayley's new place. Hi Hayley. Hi, yes, I'm playing domestic goddess today. I finally own a house. I've even got sandwiches. I know, we've got sandwiches, we've got lemon tea. Um, yeah, the 13-year-old boy inside me that loves football and WWE has decided to turn into um, a, a homeowner and... Living an adult life, finally. Well, this is very grown up indeed. I'm, I'm so impressed with my surroundings. Uh, and uh, we are having a jolly old time here. Lindsay Hooper on the uh, physio table. She's a little bit um, unwell, so wishing her the best this week. Um, but she's allowed us to just get on and luxuriate in our own voices. And of course, um, deliver our thoughts to you guys at home or at work or wherever you're listening to us right now. So a warm welcome to the podcast. Um, we've got loads coming up in today's show, haven't we? Uh, one of the subjects we're going to be looking at, um, well, John Terry. I kind of regret doing this. At the end of the podcast, we will read out some of the results of a call to arms that I made via our Offside Rule Pod Twitter account to get your opinions on where JT might go next. I thought, well, this might be fun. Maybe someone's got a little hint that perhaps some of the media haven't picked up on. Uh, Well, you've certainly got some hints. Not sure that they are particular media friendly. I blame myself. I'm going to read them out anyway. Who cares, Kate? Please Come don't. On. Please Come don't. Uh, so um, hopefully we've had some more in during the record of this, but we're, uh, we, we will be surmising ourselves and we'd like to know where John Terry goes next. Um, timing of this, what do you think? It's, I think it's good timing because look, look at what's happening at the top of the table with regards to the title race. It's not going their way, is it, really? Losing to Manchester United. Who's talking about that this week? Nobody. <laughs> we're talking about John Terry. This is very true. And of course, if they are caught up in a real fight for that title with Tottenham ever advancing on Chelsea, this would be a good time to deliver this news um, before it appears a little crash and um, maybe a little bit selfish to be talking about one's own career when the club that you're so um, attached to, so known for, is in trouble. So yeah, good timing. And it means that we can spend a little time luxuriating in where he might go. We're also going to be talking Europe's Got Talent. I've just come back from a week or so in France. Nice at least to break. I took a little look through the French leagues and I've picked out um, a a French player and I've also gone to Russia to have a little look at who who might be looked at during the transfer window here in the summer because of course when the leagues are all finished when promotion relegation is decided we can start to think transfer window. It'd be nice to think that there'd be more English or British players coming up through the ranks but we still have to go abroad and find some of the emerging talent to bring them to arguably the greatest league in the world, the Premier League, and then a championship as well. The offside rule, we get it. The female take on football. Now, for our first topic, Hayley, not designated survivor, as in the Kiefer Sutherland yeah. TV programme, which I've rather enjoyed. I'm a by the way. survivor, that's survivor. I'm More a singing. believer. <laughs> uh, so not designated survivor, but specialist survivor. Mm. This comes on the back of the news that Harry Redknapp has been parachuted into Birmingham to try and save them, but he's only got three games left to do it. So is mm. this a win-win for him? Well, he said that my wife said to me, are you mad or what? Uh, he just said, I... I, I I get fed up of sitting around doing nothing. Yeah. Does it take a madman to do this? Is he going to do the impossible, try and keep them safe in just three games? I mean, it gets him out the house, doesn't it? That's his words, not mine. He <laughs> did say that. He said, it'll give me something to do 
to get out the house. Uh, he says he's not going to turn them into Real Madrid, but instead he wants to just simply um, galvanise the players, get them going, a little bit of belief back into them, and pick up a win or whatever we need to stay up. That's all I can do. Yeah. And I think this is a good move. He's the man to do it. We know that he's an arm-round-the-shoulder uh, manager. I have said in the past that I have reservations about his about how he coaches, but that's perhaps why he's brought someone like former, former Bristol City manager Steve Cotterell into St Andrews alongside him. Yeah. Um, but in terms of someone who will get the belief going, get the team playing as a team, which is the only thing that's going to take them through this really delicate mm. point in the season, then he's a good shout. So let's look at what it takes to be a specialist survivor, a relegation specialist with some past examples, Hayley. What have you got? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm actually just looking at the season in the, the Premier League take, for example. A few managers kind of bucking the trend of big names coming in because we see Harry Redknapp now, which is great for Birmingham and giving them the big headlines and he's a big name. Uh, but this season's been a little bit different because Middlesbrough went with Steve Agnew. You know, he's always been a number two. Uh, Marco Silva, nobody knew who the hell he was, and he's done a great job. And Craig Shakespeare as well. Yes, he has a wealth of experience, but he's not that big name. Um, so this season has been a little bit different to seasons that have gone by when we've seen the likes of, for example, um, Gus Poyet come into Sunderland in the 13-14 season and, and, and save them. They look up almost gone. I mean, every season they look pretty much gone, don't they? But they always seem to manage to have a bit of a, an escape. And they normally do that by bringing in a manager, galvanises, turn things around and they can drag them out of the mire. Not this season, though. It's not going to happen this season. It's a little bit too late. Um, Francesco Guinelin came in at uh, Swansea City. Big name from where he came from. Certainly not somebody that we mm. knew an awful lot about uh, in the Premier League um, when he came to manage. He took over from Gary Monk. Um, they were 17th in the table when he took over. Um, and yeah, they finished 12th. 12th. It has to be said, though, when you've got someone like that, perhaps their inexperience of being in the Premier League does eventually um, become their undoing because they're now 18th in the table and certainly not safe yet. What I did is I had a look at the last full season where I saw that there was a lot of change at the bottom. And there's one key thing to point out here, and it's the 2014-15 season here. And that's that um, when it comes to changing your manager, you've got to bring in someone with Premier League experience. It sounds obvious, but other people have tried it's the other way bringing in Ole Gunnar Solskjaer perhaps um, certainly in terms of being a manager in the Premier League Pepe Mel, Felix Magat, Terry Connor, Steve Keane they all struggled in their first Premier League post um, having come into their teams uh, facing an uphill struggle for survival um, let's look at this 14-15 season um, and what we can see here is that all three of the managerial sackings when a team was in the bottom four in that season resulted in significant improvements in results um, and Premier League survival Tony Pulis replaced Alan Irvine at West Brom, took them from 17th to 13th. Dick Avocar helped Sunderland from 17th to a final position of 16th. Uh, and Sherwood, Tim Sherwood, moved Aston Villa out of the bottom um, three and into safety. Um, so that's been key, really. And when you look at each of those uh, managers, Dick Avocart being uh, the only one for whom it was his first Premier League post. But you could argue that his back catalogue, his wide-ranging roles in the past had prepared him for those challenges. Tim Sherwood, well, his short stint at Tottenham would have helped, but also he was he was captain of a Premier League winning side for many, many years. Um, and of course, Pulis, he's one of the masters, someone we can look to uh, in terms of turning relegation battles into mid 
table comfort um, because of course he's got previous yeah absolutely Tony Pulis certainly at Crystal Palace when he when he turned things around there you mentioned at West Brom they sat to Ian Holloway they turned to the veteran um, and they finished 11th in 2014 mm. which is quite remarkable um, we've mentioned Harry Redknapp coming into Birmingham that's what started this topic well he did that with Tottenham didn't he they eventually finished in eighth place when he took over from them in 20th. Um, looking at the championship, does the same pattern follow suit? Um, it doesn't so much in that there is a real gap when you look at teams surviving. The Premier League is the hardest division to survive in. Looking at the averages of each season, um, so the Premier League is the hardest division of all four leagues, with 44% of its teams being relegated in the first season following promotion. So we looked at teams who'd been promoted from the league. So good news for uh, Plymouth and Portsmouth might not be quite as good news for Brighton. We've seen it happen with Middlesbrough, haven't they? They've they've, they've gone up and they've really struggled to survive. Um, 32% of teams who changed their managers within the last three months in the championship survived the drop when they were not just in the relegation places, but mm. facing relegation. Obviously, a lot can change in three months. So that doesn't back up the theory that that a, that a change is good, because of course those changes could be could be people without so much experience. Maybe they're big news in, um, I don't know, outer Mongolia, but not but not such good news in the in the in the championship. That's 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 pretty damning, isn't it? In in terms of trying to survive and changing your manager to try and galvanise a team. Yeah, exactly. And do you get a big name Premier League manager? Because obviously trying to survive in the championship is a very different ball game to trying to survive in the Premier League. But then the stakes are higher in the Premier League, aren't they? And you've got the money that comes into it. And we know how hard it is to get back to the Premier League. It's that little bit easier when you drop down from the championship to League One to take you back up because there's such a gulf um, between the leagues there. Well, we'll see how Harry Redknapp gets on. A couple, um, couple of pointers from me, perhaps to be a relegation specialist with sort of looking at, at what personalities or whether there's any secret behind people like Tony Pulis um, and Sam Allardyce as well. You can also um, credit who who actually, if we, if we look at Sam Allardyce's um, back catalogue, he staved off relegation in his first season at Bolton, Blackburn and Sunderland. And of course, he's hopefully turning things around at Crystal Palace too. So his record really um, right up there. Perhaps you've got to stand up for your press conferences, Alatoni Pulis. <laughs> Perhaps that's the secret to being a relegation specialist. The other secret that I came up with after my extensive hours of research is don't employ Sebastian Basson. He's been oh. relocated six times in his what? career, uh, twice from Mets. Can you give me some of the other clubs? Um, take a little punt at where else um, Sebastian Bassong has been playing and uh, who then got relegated. Mm. Well, there's Newcastle. That's yes. the obvious one. Yes. Wolves. Wolves and Yellowbirds. Canaries. Can, yeah, he, he was relegated twice with Norwich because they went down and they went up, then they went down again. Uh, so one of, the, one of the secrets to being a relegation specialist, as far as I'm concerned, don't employ poor Sebastian Basson. Sue Smith's WSL Roundup. Hi, everyone. Here's my weekly roundup, and today I'm going to focus on the FA Cup. It was the semi-finals on Monday afternoon, and, and Liverpool took on Manchester City while Birmingham played Liverpool. Both games were really close encounters, as you would expect. Man City beat Liverpool just 1-0. That was a two o'clock kickoff. The Reds defended superbly for 57 minutes, but it was Melissa Lawley that actually found the breakthrough. Got to say, she was at the centre of every single City attack, and it was a, it was a real dominant display by them, especially in the second half. 
City will now face Birmingham at Wembley Stadium on the 13th of May. They defeated 2016 finalist Chelsea on penalties after the game finished one all. Birmingham, they defended really, really well throughout the game and it made it really difficult for Chelsea to break them down. And it was Birmingham that scored from, they scored first and it was a Megan Sargent header from a corner. She rose above everyone to score past Chelsea's third choice goalkeeper, Fran Kitchen. Then Drew Spence, she came off the bench and she equalised for Chelsea. It was a lovely curled effort into the bottom corner. Went to extra time and, and despite Chelsea absolutely dominating the 30 minutes, they just couldn't find that, that breakthrough that they needed and went to penalties and poor Enya Luko and, and Millie Bright missed those subsequent penalties in the shootout. But I've got to say, what a start to Birmingham manager Mark Skinner. He's beat both Arsenal and Chelsea in the run-up to the FA Cup final. He's, he's making it look really easy, isn't he? FAWSL won. Their spring series starts on Saturday with Bristol City playing Reading. And then more fixtures on the Sunday. Arsenal face Notts County. Birmingham play Sunderland and Yeovil play Liverpool. I'm really looking forward to seeing the results and how some of the, the new players perform in these games. I also want to wish a massive good luck to Manchester City. They play Lyon on Saturday. And this is going to be a, a really tough game, as everyone would expect. Three times European champions. But City have an excellent squad. And they've got a belief and there's no reason why they can't get the result that they and all of us really want them to get. Go get them, girls. Hi, I'm Jeff Stelling and you're listening to The Offside Rule. Three women talking about football. I'm used to listening to four old women talking about football on Saturday afternoons. So I definitely prefer this. Let's get straight on to seaside matters. I haven't been away in France by the, by, by the seaside, sadly. Um, but um, it does pay to be by the seaside, certainly recently. Portsmouth and Plymouth promoted to League One and Brighton promoted to the Championship. Congratulations to all those teams concerned. It's a good time to be on the seaside, right? Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, look at Plymouth. They've been promoted after six seasons uh, in League Two and Portsmouth as well. I, I love this because their fans are so passionate. Um, they were promoted having won 3-1 away at Notts County. There was that late two goals, wasn't there, from Jamal Lowe and just the scenes of celebration were just absolutely brilliant for the uh, travelling fans as well. They, they took over 4,000 fans um, to Notts County. Um, they've had a long period of relegation. The club have suffered three relegations. So when they were in the Premier League, they've dropped all the way down to League Two in just five seasons. So they're back in the third tier for the first time in four years. And let's hope their rise continues. And maybe... If Harry Redknapp does enjoy his time at God. Birmingham and he decides not to take over next season there and he wants to be a, a little a bit massive segue closer to home because Sandra <laughs> needs him on the south coast. He lives in Sandbanks. He could just head back to Portsmouth. A team oh, it's all too predictable, isn't it? Um, so congratulations to Portsmouth. Of course, you uh, mentioned the um, fans. The club is owned by the by the by the fans. After all their financial um, troubles of the last um, sort of five to five to ten years, um, and when they heard the news that that uh, Luton had drawn, that of course meant that they were going to be promoted. Um, immense celebrations there. Congratulations to manager Paul Cook. He was in charge actually uh, last season. Who can forget when they lost uh, in the playoffs? semi-final to Plymouth um, uh, he was left in charge of the club good good, of course to stick with your manager when it looks like it's working uh, and um, has been successful in helping them secure promotion uh, what about Plymouth all well, promoted after six seasons as you said they beat Newport County 6-1 a way to go uh, to get yourself promoted manager Derek Adams there on the side and that's good news for Plymouth um, it's going to be a big change for them though 
a massive change and we've seen obviously the change from teams when you're in the championship going up to the Premier League but you can kind of prepare and you've you know you've got a shed load of money coming your way that will help you with signings but I think when you jump up from one league to another when it's a league two to a league when you don't get all that money and you obviously that we, we looked at the, the the percentages of dropping back down are a, f- a lot less so let's just hope that they can stay up there because I think it would be great to see teams like that just continue to rise like Fleetwood Town are doing as well at the moment that's a, another team with a yeah. great story Talking of great stories, the way that Brighton have gotten themselves promoted after coming so close for yeah. so long. Congratulations to Chris Hewton and his side. Victory over Wigan, of course, uh, taking the, uh, the side into the top division. Um, the team have risen from the bottom tier of English football, like Hull, Swansea and Bournemouth, other examples. Um, but I think in quite remarkable fashion, when you look at their back catalogue, uh, going back um, all those years, losing their stadium, nearly going out of the league yeah. to then turn things around. And, and, and it hasn't been... A, a smooth uh, path of success um, by any stretch of the imagination. They've been the, the kind of nearly team, agonisingly so, for so long. Missed out last season on goal difference for the automatic promotion, then lost to Sheffield Wednesday in the playoff semi-finals. They suffered defeat at the same stage in 2013 and 2014. So they've been trying to taste this Premier League success for so long. Um, I know that um, you're um, close to a couple of the guys at uh, Brighton. What's the what's the perspective from you on this? I think they feel that now they're ready. I obviously know Ben Roberts, who's the goalkeeper coach there, who's just delighted. I know Chris Hutton very well because I'm good friends with his daughter and saw the whole family. It was great. I saw a little video of them all celebrating afterwards. It wasn't just the players squirting champagne. It was all of the coaching staff, the backroom staff. You could see a couple of the catering guys in the corner you know, they were supposed to be there manning the tea and the sandwiches for the players' wives and what have you. And they were just there jumping around. Raving, raving instead. And they weren't in some big, yes, it's a great stadium, they've got good facilities. They weren't in some big fancy room. They were all just together huddled in this little room and there was Chris Hutton with his wife and his kids and their partners. It was very much like a big family day out. It was really, really nice to see. And for a side who went on a six-game winning streak all-out attack to try and win the games when they saw Newcastle falter. Uh, they won just two games of their last six um, and then obviously suffered defeat to, to Sheffield Wednesday. Then Leeds, who Brighton had lost to, uh, hadn't they? And it looked like they might be going on a bit of a, a downward spiral and Newcastle were going to take the title and then Newcastle go and lose to Ipswich of all teams as well. Um, but a team that went out all-out attack to only concede three goals in those six games as well. I just think they should be so proud of the way that they've done it. And I like the fact that Chris Hutton was, at the time, let go from Newcastle wrongly, in my opinion. And it's almost a bit of karma there, isn't it? Yes. Mm. Yeah, it certainly is. Uh, he took Newcastle, of course, to the championship. Yeah. Um, he, um, when he was in charge at Norwich, kept them in 11th position in the Premier League. So he's got previous in the Premier League, which bodes well um, for when Brighton um, are enjoying that level of football next season. We'll, we'll have to see how it goes. But um, congratulations to Brighton and, of course, uh, to Portsmouth and Plymouth as well in their promotion. The Offside Rule, we get it, with Lindsay Hooper, Hayley McQueen and Kate Borsay. All right, well, I just thought it'd be quite nice as kind of a precursor to the summer transfer window to have a look at some of Europe's uh, youngest, brightest talent. Not youngest, perhaps, I suppose, but uh, some of the upcoming talent in Europe. Um, and I've asked you, Hayley, to have um, a quick couple of picks. Who have you identified who may be on the way to the Premier League? Who do you like the look of? Okay, I have a youngster who has been hitting the headlines with brilliant 
performances for Monaco. I just want to sing Mbop whenever he plays. His name is Kylian Mbappe. It's not even Mbop. Uh, spell M-B-A-P-P-E. And you uh, might recall um, his skills um, when he was scoring goals aplenty um, in the Champions League uh, against Manchester City, uh, one of the teams there. Um, he received a call-up as well for the French national side by Didier Deschamps um, for their big games against Luxembourg and Spain. And he's expected to hopefully earn his first senior call-up there. He's 18 years old. He only made his league debut for uh, Ligue 1 just um, a month or so ago, I think it was. Yeah, it was in February he made his uh, debut. And um, if you look at his stats of the 56 players to score 10 or more goals. Okay, stick with me for this. In Europe's top five leagues this season, only, listen to these names, Alessandra Lacazette and teammate Radamel Falcao have better conversion rates, assists and goals. And um, impressively, he scored three goals against Mets back in February, making him the youngest player to score a hat-trick in Ligue 1 history. There well, that's go. that's impressive. I had picked him out as well, actually, but instead I'll go with another Frenchman as I've just come back from France. From Umbop or Mbappé to Issa Diop. We've got something of a tune going between our Diops, Diops and Mbappés. But, uh, but I've picked him out because he's a centre-back and I love a big, strong centre-back. I don't think there are enough of them in the, in the game. That automatically gives him currency. At the age of 20, uh, Issa Diop for Toulouse um, looks like he's going to be a real presence for whoever he plays for. But very rightly, he's being um, watched very closely by clubs like Chelsea. Uh, he's an absolute unit. There's no other way to describe him, really. He's uh, six foot, four inches tall, aggressive, dominant, real old-fashioned defender, and I love that about him as well, if I'm getting a bit uh, nostalgic. Um, Toulouse are known as a selling club, so this is why I think he um, he's likely to go somewhere. Um, he uh, has made 27 appearances for Toulouse so far this season. Um, just big and strong, very good at what he does. Definitely a future France international. Um, there is a few things that he needs to improve with his game, and this is kind of typical um, for a defender of his size and his age really over in um, France and playing abroad equally here actually um, he needs to improve his timing his discipline as well is not the best um, he loves going to ground and he can be reckless at times so he just needs a bit of a fine tune when he gets it right though he takes <laughs> he takes everything ball and player and everything else and so that's why he's you know not a stranger to the odd card or two as he gets older I'm sure he'll get much calmer he'll he'll sort of you know think before he acts and that's what he needs really a player with huge potential um, and um, I really wouldn't be surprised to see him come to the Premier League to a side like Chelsea who will fine-tune uh, the uh, little little rough bits around the edges. Well, whereas the player that I mentioned, Mbappe, being you know hailed as the next Thierry Henry, could be coming to the Premier League and probably go for big money, there are a couple of players in, in Europe at the moment who are just on the radar, kind of breakout stars mm. right now. We've got Kasper Dolberg. Now, he's a 19-year-old. He's a striker. So, again, another striker. But he has been a revelation in the Eredivisie. Um, he's cemented his place in Ajax's first team. He's come through the uh, Denmark national team from under-16s up until making his uh, debut uh, for the full senior squad just this season. Um, so, he's definitely a name to look out for. He scored nine goals. And apparently he's already on Manchester City's radar, but Juventus have been sniffing around mm. as well. Um, and they've sent a lot of scouts to go and watch the forward. But his preference would be to come to England as opposed to Italy. So that's good to know, isn't it? Mm. 
All right, well, I'm going to finish off with a Russian... Alexander Golovin, who um, you'll be familiar with if you know anything about CSKA Moscow. Uh, he's made 30 appearances for the side so far uh, this season, where he's been a regular fixture enough to keep the likes of Alan Zagoev out of the team. Um, I think he's probably better. He's he sort of played in a variety of positions, but I think he's better um, on the offensive, sitting in midfield to offensive m- midfield. Um, sometimes he's gone wide, but, but I think that his movement forward range of passing probably makes him stand out for me. Um, trusted by his teammates, not not afraid to get involved um, with it at all and to try and master the play from from wherever he's playing. Um, as I said, yeah, for me, more more effective in those advanced roles, great feet, can beat his marker. Um, I know Russian clubs don't tend to sell their players too quickly. They're certainly not not afraid to hang on to them. But for someone like him, I think he'll be watched by quite a few teams. And when the price is right and when the timing's right, he will be poached, I'm sure. Um, But yeah, a great midfield prospect there, Alexander Golovin. Another midfield prospect for you. This is Thomas Lamar. Now, you might remember him. Uh, from the Champions League game. He played for Monaco uh, and he scored twice against Tottenham. They finished top of the group um, to set up a knockout stage face-off with Manchester City. So if English clubs didn't know about him already, they would be playing up against this guy who's been described as elegant and with admirable intelligence. His big idol is Andres Iniesta at uh, Barcelona. Um, He'd love to go and play for a Spanish side, but hopefully he might be making his way to England. Um, He's 21 years old, so he's no spring chicken, um, but he was a bit of a late bloomer. He's comfortable on both wings as well, which is great. Um, So every attacking midfield position covered if you sign this guy. He scores goals from long range. He has... um, Brilliant free kicks. There was a spectacular lob. I've watched it against uh, Marseille. Just a few of his highlights this season. I went onto YouTube and had a little look mm. at uh, just to back up the stats. Making sure I love a nice geek like that. Yeah, these kids that you look up and you find on Wikipedia, you just want to make sure that you've actually seen. Oh, yes, the boy has got skill. Um, he's currently the joint top scorer. I think he's just fallen behind now. Actually, um, since this article that I've uh, been pulling my information from in league, and he's got. Um, five assists as well it's actually second in the assists um in league uh, but he adds so much and he's just a very classy player as well there you go so watch out for the above mentioned hi i'm darren goff and you're listening believe it or not to three gorgeous women talking about football now football and women i'll leave it with you all right i'm going to trot on to um the slightly disasterful if that's a word, um, final topic. We put a bit of a call to arms out on Twitter as to where John Terry was going to go next. And we got a mixed response. Thank you very much, Offside Rule followers on uh, at Offside Rule Pod. I'll read out the sensible ones. Uh, It it was basically my fault for saying that we're not adverse uh, to some comedy answers. And by that, I thought you might be, you know, a little bit inventive. Uh, You might say something about him popping up on the photograph of of whoever wins the next French presidential election. Just, you know, something a bit like that. Did, did Did I get that? Uh, no, we, we got quite the opposite. <laughs> Lots of talk about his personal life. Where is John Terry going to go next? On a serious note, he says he wants to stay in Surrey. I mean, Connie, he doesn't need to go to China, does he? Does he need to go to America? Does he need the money? Right. He might need a bit of a break away from, from Britain. But, I mean, he says he's a family man. So he could be staying nearby. He could be going to Crystal Palace. That's one of the teams linked with him. That would be a good shout. And and what about... I heard that on, yeah. on the radio today. 
but I think for me it, it's all about John Terry becoming a coach and I've heard for example Pat Nevin talking about him saying is you know very rarely does he meet someone with with the kind of full kit in terms of someone who's uh, intelligent enough to go into management to go into coaching and but also has that presence about him you know he at Chelsea for a long time you know despite all his critics for a long time at Chelsea he's been the one sorting out stuff for the younger players he's been the one the younger players go to for advice so you can say what you like about him he does have an aura he has a presence and that's that could be such a useful thing when it comes to going into into coaching when there's Eddie Howe, they're, they're friends, apparently. Eddie Howe has a good relationship with them, very, you know, they respect each Experienced other. Experienced enough? I don't know. No, I don't think that will work. I think there's a lot of talk that he could potentially go to Bournemouth. I mean, Jack Wilshere did it, but he was at a very different stage in his career. Um, I think that would just be a bit weird with two young coaches trying to battle it out and he's trying to learn from somebody who's not that much older than him or actually probably younger than him at the moment as it stands um but I think you're right I think he probably will go somewhere where he will learn from a big name West Brom of course he's been linked with um so on Twitter we put uh the call out for you guys thank you very much by the way for all the responses we got uh what is John Terry's next destination going to be I'll get a few of the um slightly humorous ones out of the way first string fellows says callum gordon thanks callum for that uh, jt and wayne bridge will open a restaurant thank you donald very funny for that one um donald galvin uh newcastle someone suggests here okay uh joining up with benitez possibly or not Depends if they get promoted or not. Does he want to play in the championship? I think I think they're heading that way. Yes, but, um, I can't see that one happening. Not if he wants to stay in Surrey. He might as well go to France. It's closer to home than Newcastle. Just for the sheer kicks of it, uh, Harsh has uh, said on Twitter, Arsenal, only because Arsenal's fandom would go into meltdown and that's always fun to watch. <laughs> All right, OK. Um, QPR, someone says, what are the odds for this? Um, let's go to a few of the more serious ones now. West Brom has been mentioned by a few of our tweeters. The MLS could be a possibility. Thanks, Aidan Lining, for that one. Um, Hamilton Ackies. Yeah. There you go. Chris, Chris Summers suggests... Hamilton Ackies. He said it would be a great move. It would be for Hamilton Ackies, maybe not for um, John Tech, but who knows? <laughs> Go and play in a different league. All right. All right, well, we'll leave it there on that uh, little Celtic note. Uh, Hayley McQueen, thanks very much for your time today. Uh, folks at home, you can grab us at Offside Rule Pod on Twitter, on Facebook, The Offside Rule. Also, our website uh, is uh, offsiderulepodcast.com. During this week, and you'll be able to catch it, by the way, retrospectively if you go and uh, have a look at the women's football content on there um, we're doing interviews um, with a different female player every day of the week we've got Natasha Harding we've got um, uh, Carly Telford there. we've got all kinds of names there talking to us um, from the WSL um, Hayley you're off to work in a few hours aren't you? Yeah I am I'm working a few evenings at the moment mm. before my big Saturdays if you're a listener of the podcast and you watch football in Ireland, you might know that I present Premier League football on a Saturday. To anyone else, it just looks like I've disappeared from the screens and I'm having a great Tea time break. with the weekend <laughs> off. Um, but no, so I'll be doing a couple of evenings on sports news, um, which is quite good because there's uh, Champions League and Europa League football mm-hmm. to watch on the telly whilst we're at work. Exciting. Well, I'm, that, does it? Come yeah. on. well, I'm off into work now to um, um, edit some some sort of, well, basically anything, anything, anything sporty that comes my way. I have to chop it up and make something of it. So goodness knows what I've got in store this evening. Uh, thanks very much to you for listening. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks. See you soon. The Female Take on Football. 
Social Podcast Network.